Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad and The Advertising, the show where we ask, if the world were our client, what would the brief be? Each week we'll be tackling some of the biggest issues facing society today and consider how the advertising industry can help or indeed hinder in our quest for progress. The topic we are going to be chewing over this week is a crisis of creativity. On the one hand, we have intangible creation being non-fungible currency, whilst simultaneously the Musicians' Union estimates that almost 40% of its members have not qualified for the UK government's income support scheme during this pandemic. So our society consumes and commoditizes art at an insatiable rate, whilst woefully undervaluing and underfunding its creators. Today we have frankly no hope of solving this problem, but we do have a fantastic special guest joining Dino and I, the very fabulous Jack Horner. Jack, you wear many hats, in fact you are wearing one right now, but I think it's fair to say that whilst you're in those hats you've spent a decent amount of time absorbing, supporting and promoting the music industry, so I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Thank you very much, it's lovely to be here. Let's get stuck in. What do you guys think the brief should be? So, is is there a crisis? Is there a crisis <laughs> in creativity? Is there one? Is my first question. <laughs> okay. Like I, I, I wanted to sort of re- rewind because because I, I started out in the music industry in the, in the nineties, and it was it was just after Napster had sort of dropped its its bomb of you know democratizing access to free music and and models were, were challenged and changed and there was a lot of anxiety about what that might mean and then we said oh creativity is in crisis all the values being stripped out of it but but it's a it's a familiar cycle and one thought that i had is is whether creativity is actually never been in a better place than right now you know so ch- properly challenging the brief you know, mm. it's not to say there's not some some issues with funding and with um, remuneration and with with fairness, but feels like the, the kind of the world's the oyster for the creatives. Everything is accessible and within reach because of the democratization and the technology and the tools and stuff. So yeah, my my initial thought was, is it in crisis? Do you know? I think that's I think that's a fair and very interesting point, and I think that my point of view is that or question to the brief is. There's certainly a lot more creativity in the world in terms of there's an abundance now. It's whether the good stuff is getting through and whether the quality is higher than it was before. Because you know, technology has allowed you know, everyone to become a creator in some way or form, uh, whether that's music or you know, visual and, and like video creative, for example, like all the different kind of creators on TikTok. What we're becoming exposed to is the fact that there are tons and tons of people that can create. And, uh, and create kind of, you know, brilliant things, which is, is great. There's a de- democratization of creativity in a sense, but is it becoming a bit like, um, you know, like data or water or just some commodity that is everywhere, that everyone should have a, bit, a piece of, everyone should contribute to, everyone should experience. But of course, with all those things, you know, the best thing should rise to the top. And, and is the crisis rather the fact that it is harder for the, the truly great things maybe to probably shine through? Or is it happening? I don't know. I think that there's a there's definitely an element of a, a crisis in the way in which people are getting paid, in a sense that if you go back, you know, however many years, there were probably fewer creators getting a greater greater share of the pie, let's say, and now it's much more kind of like uh, distributed wildly, which makes it harder to, I guess, predict and plan a, cre- a career in creativity. 
um, in the sense that you could create and spend a lot of time creating things and you don't really know what the equation is to what your earnings are going to be. But I guess in terms of in many ways, that's that's the history of creative arts in lots of ways. I mean, if you were an artist back in the day, it was probably a similar thing. Do you think that anyone who self-declares themselves a creator is entitled to have a career in creativity? That's a great question because I think you could think very philosophically about creativity in a sense of actually maybe it's a thing and a pursuit that everyone should um, experience but not necessarily earn a living out of it there's about seven million artists on spotify and about 0.2 percent of them make more than fifty thousand dollars which is the medium american income but is that really unfair or is that just representative of the fact there's just a lot of people you know who aren't really professional creators who are now who now have access to tools and distribution there's tons of algorithms out there and there's lots of platforms that allow you to get out there right and and the, the wisdom of crowds would suggest that mostly good stuff does bubble to the surface if there's specific areas where it's not that's interesting of course but on the whole there's a small number of very well-paid artists and then it sort of steps down the pyramid to the people that ultimately can get their music out there but turns out people don't want to listen to it or share it you know, and if they're waving their hand in the air going, where's my money? You know, it's like, well, you know, your music's a bit shit. Sorry. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're right, Jack. If it, was a, if it was a fair playing field and it was just that the cream rose to the top, then that would be a, a fantastic outcome. But, you know, you've talked about how these platforms and new technologies have democratised creativity and made everyone have access to it. But I think it's important for us to consider which are the platforms that do empower creativity and which of them exploit it. I read a quote from the chairman of Universal Music who said YouTube makes up 70% of their music consumption, but only 5% of their revenue. So some platforms are completely taking advantage of the value that music is bringing to their platforms. Meanwhile, whilst you're speaking, I was trying to think what are the platforms that have empowered creatives? It's it's hard to make a list. Two that I came up with were maybe Etsy as like this wonderful network of of crafters and creators and artists. And and also Roblox are a really interesting one. Roblox play out a third of their revenue to their creators. Roblox is the platform where kids can make computer games. There's an insane stat, like there are more kids on Roblox in the US than there are off it. Its penetration is crazy. And part of the reason it's so successful is because it does have a really equitable share with its creators. I didn't realise that you could earn so much money out of Roblox. For all these years that I've been telling my kids not to play Roblox, I've literally banned it. But uh, for that reason, I'm going to download it later on today and uh, get them working. They're going to start earning money. I'd also get a management contract in place with them as soon as possible, where, where you as their <laughs> manager you get twenty percent of all their income yes. um, from yes. gross if you can get that in the contract. The YouTube thing's interesting, Amy. That you mentioned YouTube is not a music platform. So I think it's a bit disingenuous if there's a literal comparison to Spotify, which is only about music. And actually on the tracks on on YouTube, which are just music, they get paid, I think, almost the same as they do for a Spotify player. Here's one thing, right? They all blame each other. So the labels are like, it's them over there. You know, and Spotify, like, it's that, it's that lot. They're not paying their artists properly. And there's another, you know, the songwriters get a much lower share on Spotify than the mechanical rights, than the recording rights. Like, they're all just pointing their fingers at each other. There's, there's a challenge with this brief in that you can get quickly kind of taken down a, a, a path of 
endless complexity that has been raging at every Future of Music conference since the mid-90s about rights, uh, image rights, who owns what, who pays what percentage, you know, which deserves the lion's share. It's so complicated. Advertising is at its best when it's considering how we can create behaviour change or attitudinal change. And, you know, a lot of what we've talked about are structural issues within the industry. But maybe for this brief, it's worth focusing a bit more on us as society and how we value artists, how we get people to reframe what is a fair price. Everybody used LimeWire, everyone used Napster, and then Spotify came along and it was a hell of a lot easier. And so now we all use Spotify. So I don't think people inherently want to steal art. I think they're just incredibly lazy. We, we don't undervalue artists. We overvalue our own time. I think that's a, a really interesting point. The thing that comes to mind when I'm thinking about it as well is, are we overvaluing the art and undervaluing the artist? When you get up and close and personal to an artist, I think you really start to see the real value of them in a sense of their thinking, the way they're dealing with things, the way they're responding to things dynamically. I guess you can get lucky with art. You can get lucky as a, as a, as a, you know, someone that makes something that's a hit something, one hit wonders, whatever, but actually to do it repeatedly um, and to keep on making those successes uh, is a bit of a skill, which I think people will pay to get closer to. Interesting. Out of interest, what's the data point or what's the evidence that suggests that, that society at large doesn't value the creators or the, or the works that they produce? Well, for me, it's really been triggered by this sense that creatives have been so badly treated during the pandemic. The arts industry as a whole has been so underfunded when you look at how they are covered by furlough schemes or self-employment support. You know, the arts council is spread so thin and it's a profession that we as a society or you know our leadership within this society currently has deemed less valuable i remember back when the olympics were on in 2012 was it called britain is great was that the big campaign they did i can't remember what it was and that was an acknowledgement that the arts and the creative industries make up a massive part of, of the value of export of this country you know we bat above our weight and in a sort of pre and now post brexit world it does feel like at a sort of systemic level, at government level, more support and more love should have been shown to those sectors, like without a doubt. I'm not sure whether that lack of understanding at that level and that lack of investment and love is representative of the man on the street who doesn't value music as much as they should do. Because they're totally, in terms of a brief, who's, who's the audience? Who are, we trying to, who are we trying to talk to here? A lot of the time, I think great things come from, you know, unfamiliar, surprising places that probably have to be, you know, kind of like lived with and nurtured and fanned a little bit for a little bit of time before they become truly great. You know, I was having a conversation with um, someone who works for the Guild of Writers and they were concerned because uh, the algorithms of Netflix are programmed to basically overly bank on previous successes. So they look at everything in terms of, you know, who the writer was, who the director was, who the, you know, the production team and, uh, and they give them extra points for, you know, previous success. So what it essentially means is that if you're a, a new writer or a new director, you, know, you get marked down. You know, no matter how good your actual work is, you're not going to get seen. So um, it becomes a bit of a crisis for creators in a sense. Whereas before, without the algorithms, people would take personal punts on things because they would, um, they would have their you know, personal subjective point of view. But now it's also mathematical and analytical. But actually, it, it just you know, it becomes this kind of loop and this formula of constantly churning out the same kind of thing. And that isn't creativity. 
that that might be a byproduct of just the, the stage that the technology is is at as much as anything because obviously music streaming has been around for longer than video streaming right just the bandwidth thing it, it took a few years for for it to be possible for the mainstream to stream video and the music services on the whole i would say and i'm sure people who are still deeply involved in the music industry might disagree with this on on points of detail but on the whole spotify is not bad for discovery of new music it's got a whole bunch of really simple ways in in playlists and in your discovery page that play you stuff and sure there are algorithms but you know spotify remember are the only one of the streaming services in the music space who are only dependent on their success in music right so they are fully committed to this as a, as a music venture and podcast now i know it's in brackets but uh apple and and amazon who are the other big two you know they can use music as a lost leader to sell other stuff so that becomes more problematic but you can sort of rest assured that spotify do have the user's best interests at heart and they want to get as much music streamed as much as possible there's no reason for them to not do that in the long term it would it would cripple their their value I think Spotify get a bad rap a lot of the time, but they but they really have sort of gone out and innovated and, and put this, you know, so music discovery on Spotify, I, I think is, is pretty good on the whole. You know, music discovery on YouTube is pretty interesting when you go to these sort of niche influencers and, and the sort of the, the, the independent aggregators of music in certain niche scenes. You know, they've got access to all the music in the world. All of a sudden, you've got a ton of curators of interesting, you know, out there music. You might have to look a bit harder for it, but it's definitely out there. And, and rewind 20, 30 years, it, all we had was Top of the Pops. But how is that discovery of new music? Like, there's this has got to, I, I'm still arguing. It's like I'm treating this like a debate. I am arguing this is the best possible time in human history to be a creator. In fact, I don't, I don't think there's a better time. We've got more channels, more curators, more organizations and innovators who are championing the fringes and, and lobby groups who are sort of up there hammering the government doors down to try and get them to understand that a bit more. It, it did work badly last year, though. Even nightclubs, right? I mean, I think all, all of us know some people that own some of the clubs. In London, fabric and, and ministry and stuff, and they, they had to fight so hard to be sort of recognised as cultural institutions worthy of saving. You know, they were just sort of shut down and then ignored largely. And this has always been the challenge with the Arts Council. They, they sort of fawn over the ENO, and then you know, really great grassroots organisations get a, t- a tiny little pittance and are constantly struggling for survival. So there's definitely a sort of high art versus subculture issue there as well you know and, and i guess it's out of the clubs that new music comes that's where you, you hear the track play for the first time that's where people discover new things you know so the grotty venues and the the pub circuit that bands used to do and and the clubs they they need to be recognized as really important cultural institutions and that needs to be sort of on record i mean hearing you talk it sounds like a lot of artists power fundamentally comes from their audience their fan base When artists can connect with their fans, when they can create communities around their work, that's when they're most empowered. And that's where that that, that kind of the cream can rise to the top. So maybe we want to narrow the brief down on how we can help artists build their communities or connect with their fans. There are so many intermediaries between an artist and their their fan base. and, And a lot of their power and influence will come from that community. So maybe there's something in that. What if the audience for this brief is the artist community? Right. Because it's 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 incredibly if my argument stands up in any way that there are there's never been a better time to be a creator because everything is available. Right. You can get to anyone. There's, you, if you don't want anyone in between you and your fan, you don't have to have them. And this that is so radical that that can genuinely happen now. You can sell them hats, tickets, music. 
access to your you know to a 10 minute stream you can you can sell them anything on any level a course in how to make a beat like me you can sell them the stems to make a remix there's like you can literally sell and transact anything right and, and whether you choose to sell that or whether you, sh you choose to give it away to build fan base and reputation and an audience is up to you of course so maybe it's about educating and giving a sort of spirit of optimism to the artist that they can take back control i like that in the grime scene, the grime artist Stormzy and, and his lot, you know, they uh, had a what they call a label services deal. So they owned the label and uh, they used Warners to distribute and do all the sales and do, do all that stuff. It's not a popular model traditionally with the labels because it sort of disempowers them from owning all the rights. But that is happening more and more. Like the grime labels are really up on this because they get that it's about merch and it's not just about music, the bit of music. It's about all the stuff around it. It could be about educating and, and empowering artists to help them make great decisions about their career and their rights. I like that a lot. Do you know what do you think? Yeah, I like that a lot. If you think about would you encourage your kid to get into a creative profession, I think it's a lovely thing to do, but the risk is, is higher than before in terms of if they know how to navigate it properly to succeed and be happy. And I guess it's about just having that kind of um, the security around, around that kind of career and that pursuit. If I had kind of like no money and idea, I mean, I think... That, oh, we're going right in. Go for it. <laughs> uh, I mean, this, this sounds a little bit controversial, but I mean, as Jack was talking about, you know, the Arts Council and protecting the arts and and ministry and fabric, you know, I feel that almost we should be having a creative tax. And it sounds a little bit socialist, but it's 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 a bit like water or broadband. You know, they're things that, you know, we actually should be prepared to pay a lot more for. They're a lot more valuable to us. But actually, we, you know, we demand for free. It's really interesting, do you know? It's really interesting because we, we, we pay for the BBC, don't we? That's a sort of weird cultural tax. And, and maybe there is a, a wider consumer piece of comms that needs to happen so that, that people really understand that the future of our now isolated little island post-Brexit, you know, is is at least partly entwined in the success of our creative output, because that's that is a big part of what our economy depends and thrives on. So maybe there's something in in that. And maybe then people would be willing to pay some sort of creativity tax to support that that at a grassroots level. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, whenever you look at, um, you know, the world on a global scale and you look at, you know, our island and you look at other places that are great, but, you know, you think, why would I live here rather than somewhere else? Or when you, if you think beyond like, you know, the UK and think, well, where else would I go? It's the places that have the most kind of cultural capital, apart from the weather might be a factor, but other than that, it's the cultural capital, isn't it? It's the, it's the uh, it's everything around it that makes you feel that place is either good or it's, or it's a terrible place to live. And that's what makes Britain great in that sense, because actually everyone can come here and get something from it and feel kind of like really part of something, something that's been fused together really by lots of different cultures, ultimately, which is kind of creativity. And I think that that is something that we've got to get people to realise the value of. And it's a bit like, you know, it's not planning for next year or five years. It's, it's the kind of thousand year planning thing, isn't it? To make a, a place, um, protect creativity in a place. One thing that I've been thinking about hearing you guys chat is merch um, and how we can create additional revenue streams for artists through merch. It, I kind of come back to Roblox, actually. Like the idea that Roblox have this amazing community, they're young people, so we can instill the culture of creative support at an early age and hopefully that will make societal change. And it is a digital universe where people are building and projecting the things that matter most to them. 
So what if we could create like a digital merch shop within Roblox? And Roblox would be almost like a, a, a conduit between any artist that you want to support. And then you can place either digital merch on your characters or you know, a lot of the Roblox content is people building little cities and building towns and you can even build kind of live venues and music venues you can have digital concerts in there so it would be a way to firstly engage with young people secondly support a platform that I think really does do a good job of this at a cultural level and 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 thirdly create an additional revenue stream and we've seen through nfts and you know grimes sold 10 pieces of online video for over six million dollars we've seen that people can value digital at the same way they value physical so maybe that's an interesting solution it's really interesting i i I'd neglected to tell you the story i spoke to my little boy he's 12 years old at breakfast this morning and he's he's mad for youtube he's got a channel and he shows people how to build stuff in minecraft and roblox so he sells roblox skins right and makes a few quid off them but when i said to him is creativity in crisis? I, I posed this sort of question to him. And he was like, no, like, we're, like people are making loads of money in this space. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now, I, I do think there's, it's important to unpick creativity in commerce. Like, you know, we are, we're sort of conflating two things here, which is can people create and find audiences? I mean, unquestionably, yes. Can you make a career out of that is a slightly different question. I read something last week about how, oh no, Bill Maher said it at the end of his show. He did a bit of a a monologue about the value of music and this exact conversation. He said 72% of Gen Z wants to be an online celebrity and 54% of Gen Z and millennials would like to become an influencer if the chance was available. And you're like, Right. Yeah, that sounds like being famous for the sake of being famous. So that might be sort of part of the educational message is is a program in schools, maybe, where working professionals can talk to kids about this stuff, because at a very young age, they're getting the idea sewn to them. But you can be very, very wealthy in their relative terms by just like being an influencer. And you know what, Jack? Like, I'm thinking about like my career days at school and there was always an architect and there was always a doctor. It was never even considered that a professional actor would come or a professional painter. I love that idea of just bringing artists to career days. Yeah. And actually what you learn from working with artists is they tend to be multifaceted you know the ones that survive now have figured out that they need to get paid a little bit to host a radio show they make albums on spotify so they can sell tickets to their gigs and they get paid a grand a night to go and play and it's hard work it's a slog they're driving around the country in a battered up estate car you know um but but they can they can make a good income off the back and they do a bit of songwriting a bit of collaboration a tiny tiny percentage of artists only do one thing you know the majority of them do lots of things and you see that right up to the Timberlakes and Beyonce's you know I, I, I ran an agency for many years and, and we were all about brand partnerships in culture so and, and a lot of the money went into buying in talent like there's there is a great heritage Pepsi and Coke and all these guys put a ton of money into into music there's a debate around is it enough and are they paying fairly whatever you know if you're talking to the hardest nosed managers on the west coast uh, and some of the biggest artists in the world they know what it's worth you know so they're getting paid properly a lot of the time and, and there's all these levels of support um, in that respect as well. The education piece seems quite key there, I think. It's um, about you know, getting people to understand the reality of creativity, of being a creative artist. That it is about diversifying your income and about managing your expectations, a slightly more sort of grown-up version of creativity. 
what you're essentially saying, Jack, is we need a Martin Lewis for the cre- the arts industry. And it's Stormzy. <laughs> and it's Stormzy. Good. Yeah, because well, that's, that's how he's done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the free idea tier, if there was a sort of non-profit thing that could emerge from this and it went and engaged some talent who had done it this way and who had come from nothing, arguably, and who know that in order to make it work, you need a certain work ethic and a certain mindset, they could help head off the impressionable youth at the pass with their ideas that it's very easy to become an influencer and that being an influencer means all I have to do is this and then they give me this, you know, because that's clearly not the case. Stormzy is phenomenally hardworking. Another person that would be great in this NGO would be Blind Boy, the Irish comedian and artist. He has a podcast, it's incredibly popular, 200,000 streams a month or something. He has 6,000 people on his Patreon. He creates music. He's a political commentator. He does live shows. And he talks a lot about the funding of his work actually it's a very common theme in in the podcast you know when he has adverts and when he calls people up to to give on his patreon i wrote down on my because this is a creative session patronage that says in bad uh, handwriting i thought patronage was interesting because of course you know back in the old days you had to go and find a medici or a priest or someone that would give you your money to paint the roof of their chapel and that meant that a very small number of artists made some money enough to live on don't forget of course in their lifetimes they weren't millionaires these guys it was way afterwards that their art attracted huge values so they they made enough to survive and maybe a bit more that was a very physical process it was very limited like the early music industry was you had to go and find someone you know and then be the lucky one that got chosen and it was incredibly unlikely that you were going to make it that far fast forward to a few years ago and patreon is is this sort of massively democratized version of, of Patreon and it is it's a brilliant platform because anyone from anywhere can give you a couple of quid and go oh i I, actually i do like that i do like what you're doing you know and i I think in the development community the the tech development community there's the buy me a coffee thing where they just put it at the bottom if you'd like to buy me a coffee and it's like two quid or whatever it is and we haven't really dived into nfts and it's it's i think legally everyone's obliged on any podcast or panel at the moment to spend some time talking about it nfts i wonder if that is that the new patronage is that the other side of it so you've got the democratized version of of sort of patreon on the bottom end the two bucks thing and then at the top end you've got people who actually really like the idea of being collectors and 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 they'll they'll overvalue that because it makes them feel good you know and they can be associated with that piece of art in some way who who will pay like ten thousand ten million dollars for a thing Patreon does the mainstream thing. NFTs can just be the smaller number of people because if a band put out a bit of unique digital art and they're paid a hundred grand and they're sort of interesting and radical and up and coming, but they're not massive. But I mean, how many streams on Spotify nets out a hundred grand? It's it, they'd be on there for twenty years before they get a payment like that. So actually, you only need one or two people to back you. It's just a new way of doing it. So the other way of treating this campaign could be to focus on the incredibly wealthy <laughs> and help normalize and explain nft through a slightly different lens because as we touched on earlier with the you know the arts council fawning over the high arts and sort of not really understanding grassroots stuff and club culture and therefore ballet and opera get the lion's share of the money for far too long the same could happen here unless you explain to these people no no this is like backing da vinci this is just the new way of doing it you know you're a patron the fantastic added element of nfts is the interesting element that you can bake artist ownership into the smart contract so any resales 
also benefit the artist, which is something that's a, a massive problem when you see artists like like you mentioned living in poverty and then dying and then their work becomes worth millions, whereas this actually creates a complete share of that value in a really meaningful way. So it does feel like a, ge- a genuine way to support that community. You've nicely kind of rolled into what's going to be my Bezos idea is, is if we had enough, all the money in the world, you know, how do we solve the problem? Uh, and there is a lot of people in the world with, you know, with money to, to burn for creativity. Uh, but the problem is finding them. And the problem is matching the right people with the right people. And I wonder whether there's, uh, you know, we need to move towards a world where we have um, a platform or a tech that is a bit of a matchmaker. Is it a Tinder? Is it a Bumble for creativity? And a much kind of like higher value end, as, as Jack's saying, in terms of that kind of NFT end of the they're willing to pay a lot of money for you know a creator's time a creator's point of view a creator's engagement in some kind of way and i think that is the thing that probably i'd like to create i'd probably like to create some kind of platform that is smart at matching you know where you can go and and showcase your creativity but there are different levels that different people have different budgets and the high buyers can engage with you and on much kind of deeper levels and you might find that actually you make your career out of you know, engaging three or four people over your lifetime. Yeah, and that enables you to fund your lifestyle, your creative lifestyle. And then, and then you've got the time and the space to make the art for the rest of your audience. You may not have the resources to pay for it, or they may just listen to it on Spotify, in which case you get 0.001 cent each time. Can I riff on your idea as well? Because I think that the platform is a nice sort of moment in time I wonder if there's a, an educational slash sort of inspirational piece, which is about creating a movement where you encourage people. It's, I'm sort of trying to hide education in, in aspiration here. You encourage people who are wealthier. And of course, that's all relative, right? Because to an emerging artist, 500 quid times five bits of NFT content is two and a half grand. And that might pay the bills for the next three months. So it's, it, is, it doesn't have to just be the gazillionaires. But to create a sort of a movement and a mindset, which is about being a patron like a sort of new patronage movement where people understand that, that it's, it's, a, it's something that they can meaningfully do to invest in, in, uh, in, in, in art as a digital movement through NFTs. Imagine a world where you looked at creators a bit like companies that you can invest in as well. I was just thinking it sounds like crowdfunding. The beauty of the, kind of like the blockchain and the NFT is the person that can tell the story about, oh, I was the one that invested in Bob Dylan when he was you know, 13 years old. You know, people kind of like looking for that story of, being the, being the person that supported the next big thing. I've been a part of this. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting way to motivate people to be to contribute. There have been a few of them. They use metaphors of, of investment in businesses so you can buy sort of shares and you can track the artist. There's one called Feral Horses where you can invest a small slice in a physical piece of art and then they rent the art to offices and, you, and that's essentially like dividends that you get as the owner um so you get a slice of the rent income from beautiful artist work maybe it's things like that and like nfts this is this is why i'm wondering whether there's there's almost a movement that sits above and then dino's platform that sits underneath as the always on bit where where it is a sort of marketplace for 
investing and supporting in the arts, but it's not seen as a necessarily as a way of making money. It's a nice benefit of NFTs that, of course, they do have some sort of semi-tangible value that, that can pay out in the future. But the motivation to do it might come more from being part of a movement that is supporting the careers and the, the potential of these people. Okay, I've got my idea. So it's sort of riffing off that, actually, this like trying to shift it away from like a capitalist profiting from art space to a supporting it because it's all the vegetables in my smoothie this morning. It's like it's important for our healthy society. J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter on the doll, right? The clash, the specials, loads of bands and loads of artists have come from the doll. So, you know, what if we could create a universal basic income for anyone that wishes to have a creative career. And it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Does anyone that call themselves a creative get access to this? I don't know. But, you know, there's a there's a, a fantastic company that's come out of San Francisco called Amaze. They're a, a lottery, basically. You buy a lottery ticket or, you know, you buy 100 lottery tickets and uh, you win a cup of tea with Michelle Obama or you get to go for milkshakes with the cast of Star Wars or whatever. Um, so it's this very sort of Hollywood thing and you buy your tickets and all the money goes to charity. They've raised hundreds of millions of dollars for charity because people really want to meet Michelle Obama. And if you could create a lottery, it's like a lottery for the love of it. You know, it's a lottery for like the love of culture and you buy your ticket every week and maybe you'll win a uh, an NFT limited edition digital poster and maybe you'll win a private viewing at the gallery. But ultimately, you buy your ticket every week because you know that's funding a universal basic income for this community. I love the idea of this kind of like creative universal basic income, but funded by people that are in the that value creativity, that kind of like, you know, love it and realize the benefit of it. And almost like you can decide how much you contribute. There's a certain amount at least you've got to contribute. But you can also get a little bit more involved in where it goes. And if you if you layer in the kind of like an NFT kind of blockchain element where you can forever track your contributions, your investments, and you can get closer to those creators to get potentially a closer relationship, more interactions. And as they grow and they blossom or whatever else, potentially contribute more to get more back. I like that. I like that a lot. I really like it. It's super simple because Patreon, you have to be asked by an individual for a thing. The nature of that transaction is I say, oh, I'm doing this newsletter. You seem to like it. Do you want to give me a couple of bucks and I'll carry on writing about it or I'll carry on writing short stories or whatever. This is sort of championing the idea that let's just all get involved with celebrating and supporting it. And yes, there's some sort of prize bounty incentive, but the, it's a bit, I mean, it, maybe it's a national lottery thing is it you know it kind of is a similar principle isn't it where that's it supports a lot of arts organizations completely it does the national lottery i kind of feel like the national lottery is this wonderful resource that we never talk about because it's fun it unites everyone so many people do it and it funds incredible charitable organizations around the uk like half the parks you know loads of the arts council funding i think it's a really powerful resource I love it. Um, I think, though, that we just need to educate the creative individuals to see it not as a nice to do, but as a, you know, this is what you have to do as a creative individual in terms of if you've come out the other end and built your career and had success off the back of it, then you should understand the formula about this kind of, you know, as you mentioned, this kind of dull element of like, actually, you know, some people start with nothing. I almost, I almost need nothing for a period of time to be, you know, truly find their greatness in a sense. Because they need that kind of like, they need to go into that place where they realize that 
they've got to be different. They've got to come up with something truly creative and, and weird and wonderful. And I think you almost need to let that allow that. It's almost like money, too much money at an early stage, I think, can kill creativity. Or needing to sell from an early stage can kill creativity. That's very true. And that's where some sort of basic income could be a really interesting principle, how it's delivered TBC, you know, but the idea that you can access something on an individual level. Uh, and if we had that level of education and understanding that that was important, then maybe last year wouldn't have happened when it came to the misunderstanding of the value of the arts at a governmental level and at sort of economic level. There's one thing that we didn't touch on, which I think is quite interesting. The very top line of the brief was about crisis in creativity. We've obviously argued about whether or not there actually is a crisis in creativity. But if there was a crisis, that's the very place that some of the best art in history has come from, is from political turmoil and from war-torn countries and from oppressed groups. This is where art thrives not always but often so um it would also be worth considering that we don't want to completely sterilize the whole thing and make it far too accessible so creativity becomes so commoditized that everyone can have a go you know without some struggle without some um some context or some inspiration for that and it might well come from a place of pain and suffering that they're also important ingredients to the history of of, of art and creativity such a good point so don't help them. Leave them to it. <laughs> that would be the cheapest way to address that's this brief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably what Bezos would do. That is probably. <laughs> yeah, so he's basically nailed this brief, that guy. By not spending his cabillion, he is helping the arts. Okay? Wasn't how I expected this to end. We've not just solved the problem. We've solved everything. <laughs> Worked out the secret of the world. <laughs> don't help people. Jack Dino, thank you so much. For- <laughs> so good. I love that we've ended on Don't Help People. Jack Dino, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I've had a lovely time. Thank you to all our listeners. If you're listening and you're thinking, oh my God, there's a really obvious idea you guys have forgotten, then please get in touch and share your suggestions. And also write to us with ideas of, of, of future topics, things you'd like to hear us discuss or cover. All our LinkedIn bios will be in the show notes so you can connect with us and continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. 